Please uh, take your Bibles and or your bulletins and turn to the sermon outline and sermon text that we find starting on page 10 of your bulletin. This is the second in a series having to do with the focuses and ministry emphases of our congregation, which we draw directly from the Bible, which we pull out directly from the Scriptures, and which then give us a framework for, for our strategies and tactics in terms of implementing them. And this morning we take up the second of the pillars having to do with fellowship or koinonia, or community as it's called in the Scriptures. There's no special one place that community is taught in the Scriptures in the, of the New Testament and Old. It's woven throughout. The fellowship and community of the church is a central focus, both Old and New Testament. And this morning we come to a passage at the end of Hebrews, which mentions also our connection to one another. So hear God's word as we begin this morning. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods which are of no value to those who eat them. May we pray. From your word, O Lord, we draw strength and insight, and we ask that you might bring an application of these words into our lives. As we do, we again pray for our leaders who were this morning installed to serve with us and under us and over us in the work of the kingdom of God. May you give them every insight and every energy and every blessing as they do. Thank you, too, for the faithfulness you've shown to our congregation in this past year and for this beautiful day in which we can gather. Now hear us as we call upon you to be our teacher and guide, which we do as we pray that prayer which Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we come to the end of Hebrews and we see that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
Every single person who has come to faith in Jesus Christ has also, whether they like it or not, or whether they wanted to or not, or whether they realized it or not, have been brought into a kingdom, into an organization of which he is the king and head. Every single person, whether they are a member of a local church or not, or whether they are active in their local church or not, nevertheless is connected to every other believer, not only here but around the world, by the spiritual connection of the new gift, the gift of new life through Jesus Christ. This is a status that is new, for we have been adopted into his family, brought into this fellowship, and made a part of it. And we can't escape it. We can't run from it. Jesus said, no one can pluck them out of my hand, and we can't, be, we can't ourselves or even by the devil be chased away. We are organically connected to him. And yet we don't often feel this and experience it, particularly in our congregation's case, because we are so widely geographically dispersed. About 40% of the congregation lives in and around Edgewater, but a good 60% of the congregation lives elsewhere sometimes as far away as Huntingtown. We have the Teacher of the Year of Calvert County in our congregation, a congregation way up in Anne Arundel County. We have people from Bowie and Crofton. We have people from Annapolis. We have people from um, Dunkirk. We have people from all over who have come together in busy lives, and because they've come a great distance, they don't make that trip very often. They don't see each other in shopping centers and places of work. They only see each other maybe for an hour or so on Sunday morning. And if somebody misses church one Sunday or another, then it goes to be nearly a month before. There's even a passing conversation. This is not what the New Testament encourages us to, to allow to happen without some effort to, over, to contravene and overturn, as we shall see. But the first point I want to make this morning is the importance of the Christian community. The context of these words in chapter 13, which, of course, the chapter references were added later, is, is, the concept, is the context of worship. We are receiving a kingdom. We are members of a kingdom, verse 28. So let us be thankful and worship God acceptably. And how do we do this? Well, outside of our worship services, we also have responsibility, and maybe he begins to list them there in verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers. The church is vital to your life. It should be anyway. And it is very difficult to make it in this life without connection to a community of people, particularly those who share faith in Christ. Two in our congregation have been lost this week due to death. And the families appreciate the support they receive from the friends and family of the congregation who stand with them. And so many times during my years as pastor, people have said, Pastor, I don't know how people do this without their Christian friends. This is very vital and very real. This is not one of those things that you just ought to do. It's not only organically true, but it's something that is of great benefit. So how do we worship God, as I say in the outline, acceptably and with reverence and awe? We do it, as he says, in three ways here, loving one another as brothers, entertaining strangers, and opening our lives even to the prisoners. 
The way we worship God is by being in a radical Christian community, not through rituals, but through deep participation in the practices of life together among people who have experienced his grace. So he says we are like a family. We are brothers. We are close. Now, not all families get along, right? My aunt has, continues to meet into her 80s with a group of women who were in her high school. She calls it a card club. They don't play cards. They get together every month or so in somebody else's house, and they talk and eat, love each other, and go home. It's really enriched my aunt's life. She talks about the people in the club all the time. I feel like I know half of them when I speak with her. My mother hasn't had such a thing, and I think in comparison, her life has been impoverished. How much more for the Christian community when we share a real organic connection and not just a lot of things in common, is it important that we have these friends in Christ? The problem is, of course, that we imperfectly love one another. And especially with our busy lives and with geographic dispersion, it makes it a real challenge to do more than just wave and say, hi, how are you? But that isn't what's envisioned here in Hebrews. And that isn't what's envisioned in our strategic plan. We believe that we should have a church that looks like what the scriptures teach, not just a church that looks like uh, another suburban congregation of busy folks. We think we need to go deeper. We think we need to go further. We think we need to make an effort because the Bible says so. Keep on. Don't start, but keep on loving each other as brothers, verse 1. And do not forget to entertain even strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. But when we begin this process, we usually meet with some opposition. We find within ourselves or within the congregation of people that we know that there are differences. Not everybody has the same ideas. Not everybody has the same interests, the same politics, the same preferences. Not everybody sees things in the same way. What do we do? I want you to take your uh, bulletin now and turn to the cover and to what, what Eugene Peterson has written and said is the greatest book on Christian community ever written. This is from Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I think it is very helpful at this point. Please listen carefully as we read together. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Those who dream of this idealized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands, and they set up their own law, and they judge one another, and even God, accordingly, that is, according to their own law. Because God already has laid the only foundation of our community, because God has united us in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ long before we entered into communion life with them, we enter into that life together with other Christians, not as those who make demands, but as those who thankfully receive. This is so good. So good that I want to ask you for something. I don't ask you for much, but let me ask you for this. Tear off the cover of your bulletin. Just take it like this and more or less rip down that way. 
and put this somewhere where you'll see it again. Maybe right now you'll just fold it up and put it in your pocket. But this is, I share this with all of the uh, church officer candidates, and I try to read it myself about every quarter or so. This is just a marvelous statement, and I'm going to repeat it, and we're going to go more slowly. Those who love their dream of a Christian community, that is, the Christian community is just in their head. This is what I want it to be. This is what I'm guided by, is what a dream that I have or an imagination that I have. More than the Christian community itself, the actual reality of the Christian community and relationship become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. This is serious business. If we carry just our dreams and our ideas about the church into it, they will clash and the whole thing will blow up. We've experienced some of that. Every church has. Because people want their own way. We want what we want, and we want it to be the way we think it ought to be. But it's a dream. It's a dream. And it becomes destructive. But those who dream of this idealized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They want everybody to see it their way. They enter the community of Christians with their demands. They set up their own law, and they judge one another, and even God according to what they think ought to be. Because God has already laid the only foundation of our community and because God has united us in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ long before we entered into communion life with them, we enter into that life together with other Christians, not as those who make demands, but as those who thankfully receive. So we come to our relationships, we come to our worship services, thankfully, not demandingly, we come with an attitude of service and not of self. We come to receive and to hear and to be taught, not to speak and to push and to give orders. This is fundamentally true, and that's how we love each other as brothers. That's what he's talking about. Love one another as brothers. In fact, keep on doing it. I lost my place. Really, that is the place. I hope you'll read it often. Before his crucifixion and, and resurrection, Jesus was creating a community. He was not writing a book or preaching and teaching alone. He talked about a city on a hill, a flock, a society of disciples, a kingdom. So the Christian community is very important, central to our lives. Now, we think of central things of our lives to be our family, our job, our future, our success, our money, our place, our spouses. But he says, no. If you're going to worship me, you're going to think first of all about your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're going to move toward them. You're going to help them. You're going to listen. You're going to serve. So this community is not only important, it's intense. I say further that unconditional commitment to one another is involved. This is a new family spoken of in terms of brothers and sisters. A bond exists that is not based on blood or by common interests, but on common connection to Christ by faith. So we have different generations, different races, different preferences, different politics, but we are brought together in Christ. And that is the, the operative connection. 
This intimacy leads to transparency. It means giving up a right to privacy and even to use our possessions as we might want to. No matter how different we are, we share a common spiritual heritage and we are accountable to one another. This is intense. This is more than just casual, how are you? This is connection. The church is not a club of like-minded people with common interests. It is a family of people who are thrown together, thrown together because of Jesus Christ. Picture this. You and I have been brought to Christ through the powerful influence of the Holy Spirit who operated upon our hearts and brought us and forced us indeed to humble ourselves before him. We who once were not a people have become a people. We who lived in darkness now have become light. And that didn't happen because we're so smart. It happened because God came through Jesus Christ by his spirit to force us into his family and to bring us and adopt us and draw us to himself inexorably. We believe in, in the election of God and in the, in the pulling of God by his calling power of people from darkness to light. We have been therefore thrown together. We, ha- we did not come together because we share an interest in photography or coins collecting. We're not here together because we have the same kind of interests in, in art or music. In fact, we have quite different interests in all of those fields. That's the point. The body is variegated in its many pieces and parts. The parts don't look alike. They have different functions and roles. And likewise in the church. So if we are only listening to teaching, we are not being shaped. See, this is the thing that shapes us, is our relationships and our connections. And when we are unconnected or disconnected or loosely connected, then our shaping is imperfect. You and I are shaped by a community, not by the ingestion just of information, no matter how inspirational that information might be. The life-changing and shaping power of the gospel comes when it comes into our lives in actual practical ways and when we are connected to other people. Well, you say, I don't like other people. (laughs) I still remember this man in Nebraska, bachelor. He said, I'd rather be with my cows all day. (laughs) He was serious. He said, I don't like people. They vex me. My dad and uncle had had a jewelry business. It was a wholesale jewelry business. And they said, we would never do retail. There's no way we would wait on people. We couldn't take it. But that's not optional in the church. It may be optional for a man and his cows. It may be optional in the, in the world of commerce and setting up your business. But it's not optional in the church. Everybody's in the retail business. Everybody's waiting on customers. How can I serve you? What can I do for you? But there's an upside to this. Most of what I've said this morning is is perhaps a little bit distasteful, but look at the upside. Many Christian communities are intense but not open. There are cliques, there are teams, there are units. But he says we should be open to strangers. This is a great thing, to meet new people, to hear new stories, to be involved in something new and different. Most of our lives are kind of boring. 
But to be able to meet strangers and new people and come into the church and get to know somebody, a child or an older person or somebody who's not just like us and doesn't think the same thoughts and do the same things and go the same place, this is a stimulating, wonderful. It's a tremendously high calling. To be able to be open to those who might not be able to pay you back. Maybe there's these, this might even be an angel, he says. You might be taking care of an angel when you help somebody that you don't know. Certainly, in, that, in Genesis 18, they did. Base your involvement on sacrificial service, and a lot of your needs will be met. See, that's how this works. It's not a closed universe. God is involved, and when we give, we get. It is more gracious, it was more uh, wonderful to give than to receive, Jesus said. And indeed, if we base our involvement on sacrificial service, our needs will be met. When we care for others, we receive their care in return. Imperfectly, yes. We don't do this well, so maybe we draw back and we say, well, I didn't do that well, I won't even try again. But no, the Bible calls us to continue to serve. Many communities are not open to the weak and the oppressed. These are excluded, but not in the church. And then, of course, he says, make, keep the marriage bed pure. So while we are open to many strangers and helping them, we are not open to certain relationships outside of marriage and unfaithfulness within marriage. So how do we do this? It's a good idea, isn't it? It's hard to argue with it. It's all through the scriptures, the concept of koinonia, of one another, of people together, of serving and caring and treating others as brothers and welcoming strangers. It's a great idea, but where does it come? Where does the power come from? In my last section on community building, let me suggest these things. The power to build Christian community comes from the gospel, from a consistent effort to keep the love of money out of the center of your life. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, verse 7. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate them. And remember that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. So we get the power from this by adherence to the word of God and its truth. And it just comes back upon us like the waves on the seashore to remind us again and again that this is central to the Christian life. One of the most important things that we do is with each other. This must also be done by keeping a consistent, keeping the love of money out of the center of our lives. He warns us that in verse 5. One of the great enemies to community is self-aggrandizement, a desire for getting ahead and what money will do. We don't have time for one another because we're working too hard. We don't have time for one another because we're grasping too much, seeking in too many ways to just be rich in the things of this world. So we must let God be the center of our lives, for he will never leave us alone. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 6, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. 
I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The reason we haven't interest in each other as we should, and the reason we don't serve within the context of the church as we should, is because there's too much of us in the middle of our lives. So here's some practical steps. Open your home to neighbors. He speaks here not only of the context of the church, but also to people we don't know so well. But we have many people around us. Make an effort to swing open the doors of your heart and of your life to let other people in. It might be just a little, some children in the neighborhood. It might be an elderly person who needs someone to look in on them. Invite them to a Bible study or worship here or some, and, and perhaps returning to their own church. Become attached to a small group, a Bible study, a class, a home fellowship group. Our men's study begins tomorrow night for our new semester. It's a great place to connect with other men. If you haven't done it before, no one will put any pressure on you, but we'll sure welcome you. We'll be glad to have you. We've had a good number through the years who have come and benefited from it. Our home fellowship groups, we have three now. We hope to have six more soon. When those are started and you hear about them, be involved in those. Volunteer to be an usher or a greeter. I'm not Charles Wicker, but I know he'd be glad to hear from you. And, and this year we had such a wonderful response that our, our whole uh, roster has been filled, but that doesn't mean there is a need. And that doesn't mean we can't add another name. That doesn't mean that you can't become involved in greeting others. Take time for the poor, the oppressed, the imprisoned, and the strangers. We're trying here as a part of the strategic implementation of our plan to do more of these things. We're planning, for example, in March to have a monthly or quarterly, we're not sure how often, a, a fellowship meal after church in the fellowship hall for those who would stay once on the communion Sunday, the first Sunday of March. We may do more of those. Nick Peterson is planning a hymn sing, hopefully monthly, maybe every two or three months on Sunday evenings. Come and get involved in singing and rejoicing with other Christians and worshiping the Lord together. We have these home fellowship groups, as I mentioned. There are other Bible studies and Sunday school classes. In fact, a new one starting just today. The purpose of which is not just the importation of information, but the connection of God's people together under his word and under his sovereign hand to be united Paul says, knit together in love. Brought together like a knitting project so that one can hardly tell the one from the other. The fabric of our lives is strengthened by these things. This is so important. What can I do today? Meet somebody you don't know. Say hello this morning as we go in just a few minutes from this service. Encourage those who have just been ordained and installed and say you're going to pray for them. We'd love to have that happen more and more. And so, finally, don't lose this cover quote. Make it a part of your thinking. This is exactly the opposite of what I hear and what I see in so many churches today. This is, the this is different thinking. This is radically different thinking. And it is the thing that makes us unique as a Christian if we will follow in his steps. Now Jesus gave us this church for his glory, but also for our edification. Let us give him thanks that we can be a part of an imperfect, struggling, serving, 
gathering of Christians. Amen? Let's pray. This day, O oh Lord, as we come, we recognize again that we are alienated, alienated by sin, even from one another, alienated in this world from strangers, and certainly have very little interest in meeting with prisoners without your help. Open our eyes, I pray. Open our hearts, I ask, that we may be more generous with our thanks and our service and our time, that we may be interested in the weak and the oppressed, the prisoner and the alien, that we may have time for those who are not like us because you said that's what you sh we should do and because when you were here, Lord Jesus, that is what you did. You were the great physician. You were the one who stooped and cared for the children, the, the leper, the lame, and the lost. You cared for Zacchaeus. You looked after Matthew. You took interest in Bartimaeus. And you took interest in us. And you adopted us and brought us into a family of strangers. A family of people we don't know and don't have much in common with, it seems but who nevertheless are connected to us invisibly and vitally and organically by your Spirit. Use this connection, we pray, to deepen our bonds with one another as we walk through life together. In Jesus' name, amen.